0: Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you'll be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You can say it. Yay, Will's preaching today. Thank you. Hey, look, I'm preaching to the choir. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. All right. This is a long one, so you're going to have to sit here for a couple hours. Anyway, starting off with, have you ever had to leave a job that you loved and where you were at for many years? Well, some of us can say yes, and some say no. You may have had to leave for, leave behind like many friends, People that you would call your friends. Is it on? Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't hear it. Anyway, you had to leave instructions on how how things ran. Remind them of the things that you know they knew, but you just wanted to make sure they knew. Why? Because you cared for the place you worked and the people you were leaving behind. You were invested. Then you finally come to the realization that you may never see these folks again. What about loved ones that had to leave you? They know they are leaving you behind and may never see you again, at least on this earth. They remind you that they love you and how they wanted to be remembered, how they may have influenced you. And to lift you up, we talked about how prepared you were for this, how ready you were for that moment. That's kind of basically what Paul had to deal with, what he had to do here. But let's catch up a little bit. Paul and his mission team were at the end of his uh, third missionary journey, and uh, were on their way to Jerusalem. This part of their travels began at Troas, and where Paul preached all night. Remember that that night where he uh, preached and. Some young man decided to fall asleep and fall out of the window. But God miraculously brought him back to life as he had dozed off. Remember that? The rest of this chapter is what I kind of find extremely important. In these verses, Paul reflects on the past. He uh, also tried to prepare the church leaders of Ephesus for life without him for the future. And verse 25 goes all the way down. Paul will tell them that they will never see him again in this world, but Paul was ready for that final goodbye. And God wants us to be ready. So with this in mind, let's we're going to be looking at Acts 20, starting in verse 13. I know all you are prepared for this and ready to go, but first let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for again this time together. and We thank you for The scripture that you've given us to to look forward to. Father, I ask that you speak through me in your Holy Spirit. And Father, that uh, your glory be shown above, above all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 13 starts off with, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board. So he had given us orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mil- I was going to mess this up. Mytilene, we, fr- we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Troglium. The next day, we came to Miletus. There's a map, right? <laughs> Somewhere. Yep. There we go. Let's zoom in there. I got power, take it out. Like the map. So you can see where they started, at Troas. And kinda uh, past Ephesus and ended up at Miletus. See, Paul had decided to pass Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was trying to hurry back to Jerusalem, if possible, to make it by the day of Pentecost. Notice that they went past Ephesus. We'll see why in a bit. God wants us to be ready. Ready for our final goodbyes. And how can we get ready? That's the question. First, we must get alone with God. We must be intentional about getting alone with God. Paul knew this, so in verse 13, Luke wrote that when we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given us orders, intending himself to go on foot. John Phillips explained that the distance between Troas and Asos was about 20 miles. Paul demanded to walk, determined to walk that distance. He wanted to be alone. The others agreed to meet Paul at Asos. They boarded the boat and sailed away, headed for Asos without him. One of the problems of a busy life is the lack of time to be alone with God. Paul must have felt the need for spiritual renewal. The third missionary journey had been extensive and very strenuous. His planned visit to Jerusalem, which he felt could no longer be postponed, was filled with peril. Paul needed the the solitude in which to think over the past, prepare for the future, tune up his own soul, and be sure he was walking in God's will. I think we all need to do that from time to time. He also wanted and needed to give final instructions to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Already there was some whispering and murmuring, some division among them. Paul needed to think about the best way to bring the the Ephesian elders and pray about this message that he wanted to talk to them about. Just like Paul, we need to be very Intentionable, Intentionable. intentional, (laughs) intentional about having time alone with God. That may be like a private retreat like we see here. But most often it, it involves like just daily prayer, you know, a little bit of time for maybe some Bible study and reflection on it. And sometimes on your drive to and from work or running an errand, I call that windshield time with God. This won't happen by itself, because we're all bombarded by distractions and a busy schedule demanding our attention. Most of us tend to be way too busy, so we must take time, make time for personal Bible study and prayer. So how can we get ready for our final goodbyes? Well, we must be al- get along with God, but we must also pursue the right priorities. Of course, we won't be able to get along with God unless we pursue the right priorities of, of our time. We have to recognize that we can't be in two places at one time. The choices can be very hard. And in verse 16, we see Paul making one of those tough choices. See, remember they are traveling and they went from Asos to Geos and the next to Samos and then them, and us Verse 16 says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was in a hurry to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. I read somewhere that said it was only a year ago that Paul had left Ephesus in haste. It means he had to get, get the heck out of there after the riot. It was not expedient, it says, to go back so soon after he met He met to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. Remember that Paul had a good reason to go to Jerusalem. He and everybody else was carrying a large sum of money, a large collection for the poor and the struggling Christians. The point here is that Paul had made a hard choice. Spend some precious time with his close friends in Ephesus or hurry on to Jerusalem. And I know it goes without saying, but again... We really can't be in two places at one time. So the question is, we're we making the right choices with our time. Ed Young is a longtime pastor of a Second Baptist Church in Houston. He is also a longtime friend of a man named Cliff Barrows. When Cliff's wife, Billy, had died in 1994, Ed was asked to preach uh, the funeral along with Billy Graham. Dr. Young told something that had expe- an had happened unexpectedly. At that funeral, in the middle of the remarks about Mrs. Barrows, the aging Billy Graham paused to make an apology to all those who were part of his evangelistic team. As he looked over the families and the generations that were represented, Billy Graham began to cry. He then tearfully stated, I want to take this moment to apologize to all the families and all the members of my team and to apologize to my own children. We stayed away from home too long, he said. Many times, months at a time, in crusades and trips around the world. That was a critical mistake I made, he said. I made as a father and as an evangelist. I want to ask my family to forgive me and the families of all the team members who traveled with me to forgive me. See, guys, even the best among us need to learn to pursue the right priorities at the right time and it's not an easy thing to do spend time with your family you can't get that time back but to get ready for our goodbyes we must pursue the right priorities of course we must also determine to be devoted to the Lord and be determined to spread the gospel We need that same kind of godly devotion. Paul demonstrates here. Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent us to Ephesus and called for the elders. Called to the elders of the church, and when they had come, he said to them, You know from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews." Paul was totally devoted to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And holiness is a huge part of our devotion. As Paul told the church here in verse 18, he says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I've always lived among you, serving the Lord. Holiness is a big part of our devotion to the Lord, but so is humility. In verse 19, Paul also said that he was serving the Lord with all humility. Many years ago, F.B. Meyer said, "I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christ, in His character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath each other. And that's not a question of growing taller, but stooping lower. Humbling yourself before God, getting on your knees. Humility again is a is a huge part of our devotion to God. Paul reminds us of this truth in Ephesians two eight and nine. There he said to all all the Christians, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast." John Stevenson explained, you cannot boast in your salvation. You cannot even boast in your faith. Boasting in your faith would be like boasting in the fact that you reached out to take a check from somebody. Suppose you have the, a giant debt, but some kind and generous person offers to pay it for you. They write a check out made to, made to you for $500,000, and you reach out to take it. How absurd would it be if you then went around telling everybody, isn't it wonderful that I took that check that I had the ability to do so? The wonderful thing is not that you had received the gift, but it was given in the first place. Humility is a big part of our devotion to the Lord, but so is tenacity. I like that word, tenacity. You can even say it that way. I find myself being tenacious every once in a while. In verse 19, Paul is telling us that he tenaciously kept on serving the Lord in spite of the fact that he had many years or many tears and trials which happened to him by the plotting of the Jews. It takes faith, tenacity, and grit. That's another cool word, grit. To keep on serving the Lord. No one said it was going to be easy, right? Right? What about faithfulness? Have you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? And have you ever been to see Old Faithful? It's called that because you can rely on its erupting day in and day out on specific time intervals. And it's been reliable and true. Why do we respect faithfulness and truth and something that we can rely on? See, faithfulness... It's so valuable because it's so rare. Today, many people stick with a responsibility or commitment as long as it feels good, as long as it's fun, until the novelty wears off, or as long as I'm being treated right or appreciated. But our Lord modeled something much more noble, Seeing seeing your job through, even when everyone deserts you. Even when you want to quit or you want out. Even when the world, the world is against you. Yes, and even when they nail you to a cross. His faithfulness. That's, what, that's why he wants faithfulness in his followers. Revelation 19.11. John said, Then I saw heaven open a, and, a, and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Jesus is called faithful and true. And I hope that that's what they'll be able to call me and you as we grow into one of God's old faithfuls. However small your assignment, however tired you may feel, however unappreciated by people you may be, stay faithful. This is the kind of devotion God is looking for in us. So we must be determined to be devoted to the lord we must also strive to spread the gospel we must make maximum effort to share god's good news about jesus christ as always this is what we see paul doing verse 20 says i kept nothing i kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house testifying to the jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down in twenty-four, Paul said that he wanted to finish the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. And what that ministry? And what was that ministry? He asked. I asked to testify to the gospel of grace of God. Here we see Paul doing everything possible—possible possible that he could do to spread the good news about Jesus. Paul pulled out all the stops. And he used three different words here to describe his efforts. He proclaimed it, he taught it, and he testified to it. Paul also tells us in verse 20 that he spread the gospel everywhere, everywhere he went, both publicly and privately, as he said, from house to house. It makes me think of the house churches that are meeting even today in countries around the world where Christians are being persecuted. God wants us to be like Paul. He wants us to make our best possible effort. He wants us to do all that we can to spread the gospel, to spread the good news to the world. That includes things like Sunday school, VBS. It also includes things like potluck. And remember when we used to have movie night? And the special offerings, new missionaries that come to speak with us those are all important things how we can generate the good news but, God, but doing all that we can to spread the gospel is also includes us inviting people to church telling people about Jesus telling them what it means to be a Christian and telling them that God what God has done in our lives God can use us anywhere we work play and live but we have to do what we can to share our faith. Again, Paul pulls out the stop, all the stops for Jesus. That's how to get ready for our final goodbyes. We've done what he've asked us to do. We must strive to spread the gospel. And we must keep focused on our finish. Paul will certainly focus on the finish in verse 22. We start here. And see, and see how now, I go beyond the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul compared his life to a race. See, an athlete can have the best coach in the world. They can get the best training, have the best equipment but if they won't train if they don't even give effort if they cut corners whenever possible they will never achieve what they should and it's not the coach's fault Paul says his conscience is clear so the first the first thing he charges them to keep watch over themselves and then over the flock later on the cry then the, the Christian life is What we call of service we don't grow for the sake of feeling better then help the people around us we're supposed to grow so that we can then go serve the people around us and help them to know god and grow in christ together see paul is expecting the church to follow through with what he started that is the way the church works The Spirit is leading Paul to Jerusalem with the warning that he will be persecuted, where most of us would back down from this. Verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. See, Paul saw the hardship. He knew they were coming, but but the commitment and faith, Paul, shows here are so great that he sees the finish line. Notice that the word he used the word however at the beginning of this. It's a transition statement. It's saying that I know that what comes before this statement would lead you to one logical conclusion. However the result is going to be different than you think. I know that if most people knew that they their path was leading to prison or hardships, they would run. I know I would, probably. However, I'm going to Jerusalem, he said. Notice that he says he is testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Testifying, remember, is telling about what someone has done or is doing. A testimony is a powerful thing. When people testify to us, we listen because it's an experience that they had. Paul's saying that he's sending him into prison and hardships await him. This is not just a willingness to endure, but endure with dignity and grace. Why? Because Paul was focused on the finish line. He was able to see that the people needed to hear the gospel and that if he wasn't willing to carry it to them, they were already condemned to hell. But it's not only that when we say that he was wanting to finish the race and complete the task, he's talking about the next world Paul is focused on heaven. Think about it. If you knew Jesus and have asked him to be Lord of your life, then when you die, you get to go to heaven. No pain, no sorrow, no economic downturns or upturns. None of that stuff holds us back. There we are with God, where he reigns, and we'll be in his service isn't it good to know that God never has to file Chapter Eleven? It closes due to a pandemic. Paul was focused on eternity, and he knew that it would be just as, or it would be, the absence of bad things. It wouldn't just be that; it would be the presence of the greatest thing. There, will be, there will be with there we will be with God in His home. The one who created the universe with one word has been working on that home for over 2,000 years for us. It must be spectacular. And Paul wanted to go. Don't you want to go someday? Take somebody with you? You see, that idea of the church leading people into the kingdom is what Paul had in mind the whole time. He didn't think that he was the only one who could do it, preach the gospel, that is. He expected all of them to do it. Look at verse 25. Now I know that none of you none among you have I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He wasn't planning on coming back. We don't know that he knew his execution was coming, but that's for later. But he knew enough on the road ahead was to uh, be his last trip here or there. Verse 26 says, therefore, I I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's telling them that he's leaving with a clear conscience. Why is it clear? Verse 27 says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim you the whole will of God. Not just some of it, not just a little bit of it, all of it. That is the task that we owe to the people around us, to tell them about God. Maybe it's a one-shot deal that we have. Maybe it's over the course of months, weeks, or years. But we have to tell the whole gospel to the people around us as the Spirit leads us. You understand that he is talking about, he's talking to the people that he preached to. Not the entire city, not everybody was there. Because his conscience was clear, we must be willing to go through the, and be patient and I have to go through, as the Spirit leads us. <clears throat> Verse twenty-eight says, "Keep watch over yourselves, and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood." Who is He telling to keep watch over first? Themselves. See, the first person who is responsible for our walk and growth with God is us. We are the ones who are responsible to walk with him daily. We are the ones who are responsible to study his word, to pray, not just once in a while, but daily, all the time. We are the ones who are responsible to find the places of service that he is calling us to go and to serve. The Christian life is supposed to be one of action, And the person who receives the charge for ourselves first is us, is you, is me, is our own selves. And with that, we need to take loving and true instruction and be mindful of your surroundings and those who might lead you astray. Ooh. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I command you to go to to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, we're given a warning here about people who might lead us in the wrong direction. Even some of the people you trust, sometimes they may not even know that they're not working in the best interest of the church or at least following God's plan. It's hard to know or even want to know sometimes. The only way to be certain is to consult God. We must seek guidance of the word of Christ. His Holy Spirit will lead us. He would never lead us in the wrong direction. There are two main areas where attacks upon, uh, upon the church originate. One of them is there are enemies around us. Verse 29, Paul speaks of wolves which will come in and try to devour the flock. Wolves are pack animals. They rarely work alone, but feel safer and can do far more worse damage when operating in numbers. They also typically operate in the dark. They are terribly afraid of the light because it exposes them, it exposes the, their errors, and reveals what they really are. That's why the wolves in church will kick against old fashioned. Bible preaching. They don't like it and don't want it because it reveals what they are. They attack the young, the weak, and the sickly. They go after those who can't easily defend themselves and against their, def- their attacks, some of those to have any defense. They go after those who are spiritually weak. Ephesians 4.27 says, For us to give no place for the devil another thing about wolves is they never attack face to face they always attack from the blind side when you let your guard down is when the enemy attacks so there are enemies all around us and two there are enemies among us my kids play a game it's called among us where there is a saboteur among them And sometimes they are the saboteur. And they try to expose and expel the saboteurs from their group. It's a fun game, but it's a little, you start to think about it a little bit. Paul warned the Ephesians that there would be people among them and that would arise from within their own number who would try to destroy the church. Things haven't changed much. When Satan finds that he cannot mount an attack from the outside, he will look for someone on the inside through which he can devastate and destroy the church. A pastor came home one day to the sound of arguing coming from the upstairs room. He quickly climbed the stairs and entered his little daughter's room and found her arguing with her friends. What's going on in here, he asked. His five-year-old daughter looked up to him and said with a smile, It's okay, Daddy. We're playing church. That scene would be truly funny if it weren't true. Because sadly, this is the common practice in many churches. Petty bickering and squabbling over small things. Many fail to realize when the church allows itself to be divided over petty issues that it loses face with the community and with the lost all around. But what do we do when little issues arise in the life of a church? How do we handle the conflict when it rears its ugly little head? The Bible gives us pretty clear instructions and answers to these concerns. We're to do everything in love, Jesus said. Matthew 22, 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 18, 21, Peter asked the Lord, how often shall my brother stand against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, what? I do not say to you, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seventy, or seventy times seven. No, right. Ephesians four twenty thirty two, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God has forgive you. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Romans twelve ten. Have you ever heard of a guy named Diatrophes? Don't be like Diatrophes running people away from the church because of his attitude. 3 John 9.10 says, I wrote to the church, but but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does pratting against us with malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to but putting them out of the church. That idea when we think the church only belongs to us and only a ch- chosen few, when not everybody is welcome. See, there are diatrophies in many churches today. Whenever there is division and strife in the church, there is always the diatrophies. This is someone who is willing to sacrifice unity, blessing, and the power of and the presence of God just to get his or own way, his or own, her his, or his own way. Diotrephes is always preaching his agenda ahead of the Lord's. The Bible is very plain when it tells us how to deal with brothers who are have gone who have gone bad. Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I urge you, brethren, not note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Second Thessalonians three six. But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he receives from us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that they may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy. But admonish him as a brother. That's the one we forget. What does it mean to admonish? To caution or to prove gently? Warn? We are to watch out for him, avoid them, but at the same time, we're to pray for him. Pray for him that they get right with God, be restored. Somebody. Looks at these petty things, and that's what we, where they're missing the presence of God, the power that He possesses. Call me crazy, but I'd rather have Jesus and His marvelous presence than to see any one person get their way and see the church forfeit the power of God. Let me remind everybody that our battle is with the devil, not with each other. While the church is attacked from the outside and inside we will survive the outward attacks for far more easily than we will the inward ones. Jesus said in Matthew twelve twenty-five, that when the house is divided, it will not stand. 1 Corinthians 1, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Division. What does that mean? It's a Greek word comes from a Greek word called schisma. Schisma means to cleave. It carries with, the, with it an idea of butchery. When there is division among the members of the Lord's church, there is butchery of the Lamb of God taking place. Always be on guard for trouble. Trouble at the house of God. Verse 28 is a call to be watchful, both of self and others. When trouble and division rears its ugly head in our midst, Take whatever steps are necessary, regardless of how extreme they are, to see that it's stopped in its tracks. But what is said is the fact that anyone, anyone, any one of us is only one step away from being the spark the devil uses to blow the church apart. Anyone in this building watching this online who refuses to walk in the humble submission before the Lord is capable of being used by the enemy to destroy the fellowship. Don't let it be you, that's what he says. Don't let it be you, search your heart and see if there's anything in the beginning of the spirit of divisiveness that can do so much, so, so much harm. You are, when you are closer to Jesus, it's less likely that you will be sent to the center of trouble. To get ready for our goodbyes, we need to be mindful of what motivates us. I told you there was a lot to talk about. We talked about motives before. Paul is able to say that his motives were pure. His motives were go- the gospel of Christ. was not money. Verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver, gold, clothing Your, of yourselves. You know that this, these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. He's saying that he didn't, have mu- didn't covet money. Money, what is, it, what is it his motive? He also that, saw that. We also saw in Philippi, he had to work as a tent maker until Silas and Timothy arrived with funds that had been donated so that he could uh, preach full time again. His motives wasn't money. But he also led them in taking and giving what was given to others. He even did this himself because he knew first the joy of helping others. Verse 34, You see yourselves knowing that the hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it's more blessed than to give than to receive. Paul quotes Jesus by saying it's more blessed to give than to receive because Jesus said it. I did it and it is good. It's real simple. And with that he said he is ready to leave them. He has told them of the hardships, the faithfulness of the teaching and all the gospel of Christ. He has charged them to carry on the work that God has started through him, warning them to watch out for themselves and the people around them. He notes that when he leaves, people will come and try to deceive them. It is their charge to keep the gospel pure and to keep teaching it to the people around them. But there is one final scene in this passage here. Rather than just praying and going about their business, look what Luke writes about here. Verse 36, he said, He knelt down with all of them and prayed. As they wept and they embraced and kissed him, they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most for the words which he spoke, that that they would see his face no more. They accompanied him to the ship. What upset them the most was this statement, that they would never see his face again. That they accompanied him to the ship, they prayed together, and then they wept together. They hugged and kissed, and they were not afraid to show affection for each other. It is one of the things that I love about this church. We are willing to shake hands and to hug one another. May we never get to the place that we can't show one another the love that we feel. The church is supposed to be a family. For good and bad, for the disagreements and the times that we lift each other up in support of each other, the one thing that we're not supposed to do is lose its loses the love of each other, and we're supposed to show it. It's important because ultimately, that is what the kingdom of God comes down to: is love. Love should motivate us. We are forgiven because God loves us. We are forgiven each other. We are to forgive each other out of love, love for God and one another. With that, I want to say, if you're watching and you've never asked Christ into your life, I'm going to invite you to do that today. Not just because we want another church member, because it's the most important thing that you could do in your life. God loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. We want you to know what life with him is like. Not that it'll always be easy, but because it's worth it. But because it's worth it and because you are accepted. You're accepted in him either into the, enter into the family, he says, that wants to love you and help you on the journey. That's what the church is about. Let's pray. Father Lord again we thank you for this time together and we just thank you for the message that you're able to bring to us Lord and thank you for loving us so much that you gave yourself. And Lord we just appreciate all you've given us and continue to give us despite of ourselves. Bless us as we continue on Lord in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at baptist dot o-r-g